Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to do a little quick survey, okay? How many have watched 15 or more football games in the last year? Okay, 15 or more football games in the last year? A little, okay. American football, American football. So that helps you to know we're in a multicultural crowd, right? What kind of football, Pastor? I mean, this is, this is real divisive here. I mean, what is football, right? Um, so, football or... Uh, but American football, 15 or more games, a couple of you raise your hand. How about 10 or more? 10 or more? Some? Five or more? I'm, I'm probably around the five-ish is what I'm thinking about, five or more. Less than five. You could say, I don't really care about a whole lot of football. Okay, less than five. All right. So that just gives me a little bit of a gauge. But, so this is, this is the question. I normally watch just a couple games a year. You know, if the Bulldogs are going to be in a championship or a semifinal game or something like that. Um, Super Bowl, we typically, you know, watch the Super Bowl. Maybe a couple other games here and there. I enjoy football, but just not a huge, avid follower. So this may just be me. But until January 2nd, let me ask you this one. How many of you before January 2nd had heard of Damar Hamlin? Before January 2nd, you knew who Damar Hamlin was. Dylan? Anybody else? Oh, and Saniah. Awesome. So Dylan Sanaya knew. Who, after January, January 2nd and after, who has heard of Damar Hamlin since that time? Okay, great. So next slide will show Damar Hamlin, number three, Buffalo Bills. And could it be, did, we, you know, did he make an amazing play that night? Did he you know, have an interception, run it all the way back for a touchdown? Um, did he just make this tackle that, you know, that the world saw and thought, that is a phenomenal tackle? What happened that all of a sudden millions of people now who didn't know of Damar Hamlin prior to January 2nd now know who he is, his number, uh, what he played for, and what happened to him during the game on January 2nd? Well, of course, it wasn't. A phenomenal play. He did make a good tackle, but it was because after his a routine tackle that he, I believe T. Higgins was who he tackled on the Bengals team and uh, who had, had received a ball, and he's as a safety, uh, Damar made the tackle, but shortly after jumping up, and probably many of you have seen the video clip, just a few seconds later, uncontrollably fell to the ground, and we later learned that he was having a cardiac arrest. So as the people rushed out on the field and began to uh, do CPR and used an AED you know, unit on him, and thankfully uh, were able to restore his heartbeat um, on the field. But during that time, his team members, the Bengals, everything stopped. The game really didn't matter a whole lot at that point. In fact, it was suspended and never to be you know, even finished because all of a sudden this man, a 24-year-old, who seemed to be in the epitome of his uh, physical fitness, a collapse to the ground. And we, we remember that through that, it just helped many, especially in the athletic world, to pause and think, what if that had been me? So you saw some big guys, some linemen, and you saw other guys. I mean, one picture, I, I didn't include it in this presentation, but one picture you see two huge Buffalo Bills uh, guys. One has just buried his head in the other guy's shoulder pads, uh, just in despair, concern uh, for his teammate. So we begin to see that um, there were calls for prayer. In fact, a couple games later, uh, the Titans and the Jaguars, before they played a very important game, both teams came to the center of the field 
and began to pray together. This is unheard of. The NFL is not like this spiritual organization, right, to say the least. So for two professional football teams to gather at the middle of the field and take a moment to pray for Damar Hamlin is unheard of. The next slide shows something that we saw not only on the field but in in many other areas and on the news. Uh, Pray for Damar. As we pray often with our kids before bed, Mary asked me one night, Dad, we need to pray for Damar. And all of that is, is interesting because before January 2nd, again, I, have, I had no idea who Damar Hamlin was, but we as a family began to pray for Damar Hamlin. Now, is it because it's so um, you know, unusual that a 24-year-old would, would die? Well, it, it is unusual to an extent, but there's been over a million 24-year-olds, or 18 to 25, who died last year in the world, over a million. But it was so strange because for us to see someone who we thought was in physical, you know, very physically fit, um, it, it reminded us of the frailty of life. There's a Fox Sports uh, broadcaster, Nick Wright. He's not a believer, but he said this on live TV. He was looking at Chris uh, Brucer. I may be slaughtering his last name, but he's looking at his co-host, and he said, two of the closest people in the world to me My wife and you, my broadcast partner for years, are deeply religious people, and I am not. And it made me a little envious in that moment. And he was talking and reflecting back about what happened to Damar. Made me a little envious in that moment since I didn't have that foundation of, you know, I don't want to say a greater purpose or a higher power or something, because I feel like at times like this, when there's an inexplicable tragedy, you're almost flailing about like, why? Why did it happen to this kid in this moment. And so he admitted, you know, on, on live TV, listen, there's some questions that as a, as a person who's not a religious person, unlike my wife and unlike you, Chris, I, it, when things like that happen, it causes tension and it just causes some things in my mind that I, I just don't quite understand. A former NFL player was being interviewed by Anderson Cooper And he was talking again about this, and Benjamin Watson, as he reflected on this, he says, you know, the questions about what happens after this life, whether you'll spend eternity uh, or where you'll spend eternity, are coming up for all of us, not just for the football players. But I love how he finished, and he said this, but thank God that he provides an answer through his son, Jesus Christ. Again, on live TV. ESPN analyst Dan Orlovsky prayed for about a minute and he said, I know this is not customary, but I just, I just feel that uh, this is something I should do at this moment, so I'm just going to bow my head right now, and I'm going to pray for Damar. And for about a minute, again, on ESPN, like the NFL, not the greatest you know, spiritual uh, network in the world, prayed. So all these things remind us what we see in Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11. It says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful and in its time. But notice this last phrase. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So when that tragedy happened, when Damar Hamlin, as, as many watched, and that very night we weren't watching the game, but somebody, somebody in the family heard and we watched the clip immediately. When that happened, it was a reminder that could have been any of us. We could fall at any moment. We could collapse to the ground. Thankfully, Damar is still around. But that could have been a very different end to his story. But God in Scripture and Ecclesiastes reminds us that one of the reasons why, you know, all of a sudden tragedies like this, some of you who were alive back in 
Remember the calls to prayer and people singing on the Capitol steps uh, uh, and, and all these things because there is a tendency to be reminded, yes, there is something bigger and greater than who I am and there is some void that nothing else or no one else can fill except God himself. As we've looked through Philippians, we've been studying and trying to answer the question, is true happiness possible? We come across the passage of Philippians chapter 3. We've already looked at Philippians 1 and 2 in previous weeks. The true happiness is a lot more than just your success or your circumstances. You can even be suffering and have true happiness in Christ. We looked at Philippians chapter 2, how true happiness is often found through serving others. God gives us great joy as we expend our energy and investments in other people. But in Philippians chapter 3, we see an exclusive claim that true happiness is only possible through knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Let's look at this first question here. What is true salvation? Well, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, Paul has already talked about several times the gospel He's talked about living worthy of the gospel. In Philippians chapter 2, you may remember towards the end of that chapter, he, he challenged the Philippian church to hold forth and hold fast securely the word of life. He's talked about rejoicing several times. So he's reminding the Philippians, listen, I'm going to say these things again, and we're going to approach these same topics, and this is safe for you. This is important for you to understand. But as we look at true salvation, we have to be reminded that there are, there's fact and fiction in every area of life, including spiritual things. I mean, in everyday life, we see different ideas of fact and fiction. Um, some of you in this crowd have been to Vincitres de Mayo. You've been to the, the road called 23rd of May. And, or Vincicinco, rather. It's Vincicinco de uh, Marso. Frank's like, yeah, Pastor, get it right. Vinci Cinco de Marshall. So it's the 25th of March. There's another road called 23rd of May, but 25th of March. All kinds of people are selling stuff in stores, but also on the sidewalk. And when DVDs were still popular, so this kind of ages me, but when DVDs were still popular, there were all kinds of DVDs being sold, but for real cheap. Why? Because they were pirated. So you weren't real sure if you bought that DVD, is it going to play you know, in your DVD player or not? It may, it may not, um, but they were, they were fake. Growing up, we, um, a lot of times we would get the Big K Cola instead of the, you know, if, if we got Coca-Cola, it's like, man, this is a special day. This is the real thing, but sometimes we would get that, the Big K stuff. I don't know, does Kroger still have Big K Cola? And it may not be that bad, I don't know, but I just remember, you know, Coca-Cola, that's... That's the real thing, right? Sometimes you get counterfeit money. I've received counterfeit money, and I've, I've unfortunately unknowingly used counterfeit money in Brazil, and I learned that some of the coins that were counterfeit were a little heavier than other coins, and that's something we had to, to watch out for, and we do as well here. But there's also a, a fact in fiction in salvation, and we see also in the examples of the Bible this certainly was true. What about Judas? Judas walked with Christ for three years. He experienced some of the miracles. He saw Jesus do some of the miracles. When Christ even said something about um, being uh, uh, betrayed, you know, the other disciples didn't go, I knew it. It was Judas. All along, I've been wondering. No, in fact, they begin to ask, is it me? 
Is it me? So Judas appeared to be one of the believers. Judas appeared to actually be one of a genuine disciples. Now Christ early on had said, there's one among you as a devil. And he was referring to Judas who would later betray him. Judas was living a fake Christianity. So are that not everyone who initially shows interest in the gospel will become genuine believers. Some look at the gospel as, well, this is, maybe this will solve my problems. Maybe this will you know, get me a better job, will take a health issue away. Or uh, One guy that I talked to at one point, he, he was praying for a new taxi car, and he got his taxi car, and then all of a sudden, he didn't need Christ anymore. So these are some things that, that are evidence, well, that's not a genuine Christianity. It's not really knowing Christ. You may know about Christ, but that's not knowing Christ. Then you'll see on the screen here this passage, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. Paul warns the Corinthian church when he says this. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. We see fact and fiction, even examples in the Bible. And Paul is going to begin to tell the Philippian church, they're among you as well and watch out. So notice the next verse, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2. This is a strong phrase. In fact, if, if I were to say this to any of you or if my kids were to say this to someone else, they'd get in trouble. But we'll see why Paul says this. He starts out Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2 and he says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And when we think of dogs, some of us in, in our culture, we think of maybe the little, you know, fluffy uh, pets that we have. My mother-in-law is here with this weekend, and she brought her little bitty, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, probably about that big diesel. I mean, you can just like pick him up in your hand, and I mean, we wouldn't do this, but you could throw him a long ways. I mean, he doesn't weigh much at all. Really good dog, right, Mom? Great dog. Diesel made it even on live or streaming right now. So way to go, Diesel. But Paul is not talking about dogs then. Paul is referring to what they were aware of. Dogs in that time, in that culture, were, were filthy, uh, were, were ravaging animals. I've been in countries and places and different travels throughout my lifetime where that has been the case. When you see dogs, you did not want to pet them. You didn't want to get close. They were wild and ravaging dogs. And Paul says, watch out for the dogs. He's referring to many who uh, claimed to be Pharisees. They were religious elite. They were quick to, to tell other people that they were unclean. They were quick to judge and say that others were sinners. But Paul's saying, watch out for them because the hypocritical religious elite, the religious leaders, they are unclean themselves. The next phrase that he uses is the evildoers. The evildoers. Now, the Pharisees had adopted many practices that really they had distorted from Old Testament law, and they had kind of interpreted in their own way and added some things to it, and you were only spiritual if you did exactly according to their customs. How many times you washed your hands? How did you hold your hand? And all these things. Could you help someone on the Sabbath, or would that be working? In fact, they accused Christ you're profaning the Sabbath because you healed someone on the Sabbath, and that's effort, therefore work, so that's wrong. So you begin to see that as they claim to be law doers, Paul says, no, they're evildoers. 
They're not following really God's path. The last phrase that he uses in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2, those who mutilate the flesh. Those who mutilate the flesh. A reference to the circumcision, a sign that God had given the Old Testament uh, people from Abraham or from Jacob on that they should be circumcised, showing that you are different. You are a chosen nation, different than those secular nations around you, and you are to represent God to the world. And that was a, a sign, but it had become to this point just an external sign for many of them. And Paul says, if it's only an external sign, those people are just mutilating the flesh. There was much more that God meant for that. So fiction is an external ritual. Many believe, no, this is how you're to be saved. In fact, Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, we won't read the verse, but there were many who would say, yes, Gentiles, although even you're not a Jew, you're not from the nation of Israel, but you have to be circumcised in order to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And Paul and others quickly condemned that teaching and said, no, that is not what Christ came to do. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Even in the Old Testament, the physical act of circumcision for males was much more than just physical. In Deuteronomy, it explains this is also to be a relationship with God. It is not just to be an external sign. Now, for us, in, in our culture today, there, there are different signs that we can think about that are external and rituals, but it, that is fiction. That is not what true salvation is all about. Fact, we see in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, it's not an external ritual, but it is an internal relationship. Philippians 3, 3, for we are the circumcision. And at first, that could seem like, well, is he referring just to Jews? You may recall that the Philippian jailer may still be in the congregation here. He's one of the first to be saved in the city of Philippi, as we see back in Acts. So the Philippian jailer, if he were there, and that was all that was said, for we are the circumcision, Philippian jailer might think, well, I'm not, because I'm not part of the Jew. But this wasn't a, a Jewish statement, because he goes on to say this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. So he's showing, listen, this is not about an external ritual. This is an internal relationship. In another passage, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. So we see that because of relationship with Christ, that will enable us to serve by the Spirit. So serve and worship, as we see here in Romans chapter 12, it's, it's equal there. It's not just praise team coming up or sing some congregational songs on Sunday morning, but every area of our life, only through a relationship with Christ, can we serve by the Spirit. He gives us that capacity. Galatians 5, 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In contrast to that, in Galatians 5, 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Without the Holy Spirit abiding within me, I will not be able to do those things in a consistent manner. I won't be able to show biblical Christ-like love. I won't be able to be consistent in patience. 
But through the Spirit, I can with God's help. Secondly, a relationship with Christ leads us to give Christ alone all the glory. Philippians 3.3 continues on. It says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and notice, and glory in Christ Jesus. As humans, we tend to gather and to get our identity by a lot of different things. What kind of brand of clothes do you wear? What kind of car do you drive? What neighborhood do you live in? Or for others, it may be, no, you know, for me, it's more important about what position do I hold? What kind of power, what kind of influence do I have within those that are around me? And all of those things, oftentimes, we, we seemingly gather our identity and our worth through all of those things. But Paul's saying, listen, you should only glory in Christ Jesus. So imagine with me for a moment. Let's imagine that all those things that you kind of look at or even unknowingly think about that give you worth, kind of create your identity, if you were to lose all of those but still have Jesus Christ, would that be enough? It would be. Would we feel like it's enough? It'd be tough. But Paul's saying, listen, only glory in Christ because he is enough. Relationship with Christ leads us to give Christ alone all the glory. John said in, in John chapter 3 and verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Thirdly, a relationship with Christ leads us to trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Philippians 3, 3 again, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and then notice, and put no confidence in the flesh. And if there was any doubt what Paul believed about circumcision, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And then in a letter to the Ephesian church, he says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, typically as humans, we tend to think that we are fairly good people. We may only do bad things if, you know, we, we've uh, been victims of something and somehow or others have hurt us, then, then yes, then we you know, often tend to do bad things. But many times our tendency is to think, you know, we're, we're pretty good people as humans. But if we were to really think, if left alone, the desires and thoughts without restraint, if some of the thoughts that passed through my head and some of the desires and motives and ideas that I've had through my life, if I did not, with God's help, have any restraint to that, Imagine even how more horrific this world would be. And if you doubt that our tendency is towards sin, watch the news for a while or just go watch some preschoolers during playtime for a while. And you'll learn soon that, hey, our tendency is not to, to be giving and loving and patient. No, our tendency is strife and sin and corruption. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 in the Old Testament it says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So the first question, what is true salvation? Well, it's not through an external ritual. Second question is, who is the supplier of true salvation? Is this something that I can muster up? Is this something that I can do? Paul answers that question. Is it, is it you? Is it, is it me? Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have 
reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So let's go back through that, that list. Paul has just given his spiritual credentials. He's just laid out, listen, you think you're good? Listen to this, big boy. I'm going to top you. So he starts out. I, have, I can have confidence in the flesh too. I was circumcised on the eighth day. What did he mean by that? He didn't just come to become a Jew as a teenager, as an adult. No, he was an eighth dayer. You know, he said, no, no, I'm an, I'm an eighth day or Jew. When I was an infant, my parents followed the Old Testament custom that on the eighth day, I would be circumcised. That's me. How about you? So he's saying, I'm an eighth dayer. They also went on to say, of the people of Israel, the nation that God had chosen to show the world around them how great God was, he says, yeah, I'm of that people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin was Joseph's younger brother. He was the beloved son. Uh, Saul was from the tribe of of Benjamin. We see uh, that Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin. Perhaps even Paul, who used to be Saul, maybe he was named after King Saul. Who knows? But he was from the tribe of Benjamin. So he keeps adding on to this list. He says, listen, I can top it. I can even say something else. I'm an eighth-dayer. I'm of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. But I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I don't just participate a little bit in this culture. I speak Hebrew, and I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm genuine. As to the law, a Pharisee. A group of about 6,000 of elite religious leaders in that day, and Paul was one of them. He says, yeah, before I came to know Christ, this was something that I thought was so important. I was a Pharisee, part of that 6,000 elite. That was me. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He was so convinced that Jesus the Messiah was the wrong thing and that those who were believing in the way and in this man were going down the wrong path that he persecuted the very church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus had prophesied this. Jesus told people, there's going to become people that will take you out of the synagogue. And Paul was one of those when he was still called Saul. He says, I was a persecutor of the church. And then he goes on, as to righteousness under the law blameless. So apart from Christ, in his context, if we had laid it out, we would have had to have agreed with Paul, yes, your list tops probably everybody else around you. But is it you, is it Paul that is the supplier of salvation, or is it Christ? Look at the very next verse in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. There's a couple things that we see through that. Salvation doesn't come through rituals. It doesn't come through, he made it very clear, it doesn't come through circumcision. Scripture is also very clear, salvation doesn't come through baptism. It doesn't come through the Lord's Supper. It's not through any ritual that we will be saved. Salvation doesn't come through our heritage. As he said, you know, I'm of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. Uh, And others today may say, yeah, I'm from a God-fearing family. I was born into a Christian home. I can't tell you how many people that I I asked 
through the years in our ministry there in Brazil say, well, when did you come to know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? And many of them would say, oh, no, I was born into a Christian home. I was kind of born into that. I'm like, well, not exactly. That's not how salvation works. I was born into a pastor's home, but it didn't make me a, a, a Christian any more than if I had been born into a mechanic's home would make me a mechanic. I had to make that decision myself to understand I'm a sinner. I'm in need of Jesus Christ myself. It's not our, our heritage that will save us. Salvation doesn't come by following traditions. Hebrew, Hebrews, Pharisees, uh, you know, church attendance maybe today. Well, I go to church, Pastor David. Well, good for you. It doesn't earn your way to heaven. No, but, but I give money. Well, so did Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, but he still didn't know Christ at that point until Peter explained the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. It doesn't come through our traditions. You, and you could put any term here. You may be, no, no, I've been a Baptist all my life. Do you know Christ? Well, no, no, I've been a Methodist all my life, but do you know Christ? It's not our tradition that saves us. Salvation doesn't even come through sincerity. Paul said zeal, uh, you know, that he had zeal, that he persecuted the church, that he was blameless, that he, 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 you know, he did all these things. And some today maybe say, yeah, you know, I'm a regular faster. I, I fast and pray. And so these things uh, show that I am sincere about the religion and the God that I'm serving. We can be sincerely wrong. Scripture makes it clear that there is one way. So some will trust in their religious rituals to prepare them for the life, maybe this life and whatever they believe will happen after this life. Others will trust in their family heritage. No, you know, that's kind of who I am. That gives me the identity. Some will say, well, it's my traditions. You know, I follow these traditions. My grandpa did and my great-grandpa and grandma. And we've just kind of followed these same traditions. And so that's what some will believe in their traditions. But then there's going to be billions more who will say, no, but I'm sincere in what I believe. I sincerely believe. And then whatever their box is of maybe they're atheists, but they're sincere atheists. Maybe they're agnostics, but they're sincere agnostics. And they say, no, but I, I'm, I'm sincere about this. When Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it, are many. But in contrast, notice the next verse, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So then we come to number five there. The salvation comes through Christ alone. It's not through any of these other things, but salvation comes through Christ alone. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22, and you'll see it here on the screen. But a man came to Christ and, and asked a question that all of us would probably be excited, especially those of us who know Christ as our Savior. We would, we would really love to have people ask us this question more often. What do I need to do to have eternal life? This is the question that was posed. Notice here in Matthew 16, or 19, 16 through 22. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed, that's important, must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one is good. So who 
who is the only person who's lived a sinless life in the, in the history of mankind? Who is that only person? Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, if you want to ask about goodness, I, I'm, I'm telling you, there's only one person that's good. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm the one. There's only one person that is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So he's following along this guy's philosophy and the idea that, well, if I do enough things, then I can earn my salvation. So Christ is saying, well, I'm trying to show you a contrast here. There's only one person that is truly good. But if you want to try to earn your salvation, then you have to keep the commandments. So he said to him, well, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, you can almost imagine the young man at this point, he's probably, as Christ is going through his commandments, the young man's probably saying, yep, done that. Yep, done that too. Yep. And as, he, as Christ kind of finishes, then he says, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Do you see the emphasis? He's still thinking, okay, what, what do I need to do? How can I gain and earn my salvation? What, what other deed do I need to do? And Jesus was following along, says, okay, you want to know some more good deeds, some other commandments? Here's another one. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, what did he do? He went away. So for many, you know, for many years, he had kept commandments, and he comes to Christ and says, okay, what do I need to do? And Christ says, well, there's only one who's good, but if you're going to be perfect, you have to keep the commandments. These are some of them. The guy says, well, what else? Do I lack anything else? He says, yeah, by the way, you do. Go ahead and sell everything you have, and then come, come and follow me. The young man says, no, I've got a lot. That's too much. Salvation is through Christ alone. We may think, you know, well, I was born into a Christian home, or I believe in God. I'm trying to be a good person, and I, and I think God sees that. And I think at the end of life, God's going to kind of measure, you know, what I've done for good and what I've done for bad. And, and I think in the end, my good works are going to be more than my bad works. But notice a very important truth in James chapter 2 and verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So if I, like that young man, am thinking, or you are thinking, well, if I do enough good things, Jesus and Paul both made it very clear, listen, you and I could never do enough. We can never, and that's why in Romans it says that we have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no way that the best of us that our best moment in life could ever match the perfection of Jesus Christ. We see that salvation is through Christ alone. Look with me in Philippians. You're, you're going to have to turn your Bibles because we're going to, I'm, I'm going to sum up this sermon quickly in a different way. So we're not going to go through the rest of the notes, but I want you to see verses 8 and 9 in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Before we read that, in a minute, I'm going to ask you, and I'm thinking that ladies may have, uh, some more because you have purses than men, but I may be wrong on this. If you have like an old tissue or uh, an old receipt or a scrap piece of paper that you don't want, be thinking about that in a minute. Um, I've got a deal for you, okay? So keep that in mind. In a minute, I've got a deal for you. Philippians chapter 3, 
Let's start in verse 7 again and then continue on. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Some versions even, even use dung. I mean, this was something that you don't want this around. This is not worth anything, so I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own faith that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I served at uh, Redcliffe Bible Camp uh, for two summers, and at the end of every table, there was a bucket kind of like this. And after we finished our meals, we were supposed to get the slop bucket, and all the campers would pass their plates down. Uh, Sometimes the campers would do it, sometimes the counselors would do it, Campers didn't quite always do a good job, but they were supposed to take their plate and scrape all the leftover stuff off of their plate into the slop bucket. And then the slop buckets, we as counselors had the the fun time to then do that into the trash can. How many times do you think I took the slop bucket back to my cabin and said, you know, I think I'm going to be hungry tonight at at midnight. I I might eat a little bit leftover of Johnny's, um, you know, mush. No. Not once did it ever cross my mind, oh, let me, hey, give that slop bucket to me. Paul says, that's, that's exactly what happened. I thought there were so many things that I thought were in my gain category. These were things that brought me favor to God. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I was a tribe of Benjamin, and I was an eighth-dayer, you know, circumcision, and all of these things. But he says, in the end, I learned that all of those things were just like, they're just slop, just rubbish, It was worth exactly nothing because Christ is the only thing worth and the only thing in people, person that can give me salvation. Okay, who has an old tissue receipt or something? I've got a deal for you. Oh, Sue, okay. Sue, this this is going to be a tough deal for you, but can I exchange $5 for that tissue? can, Can I? I can have that tissue? Awesome. Thank you so much. Great. Do you think I'm going to keep this for very long? Probably not. I'm just going to go ahead and put it in the slot bucket. But what just happened? The tissue was worth absolutely nothing. Did she make a good exchange? Absolutely. It's only $5, but $5 will get you Chick-fil-A ice cream or something, a cookie. The tissue won't get you anywhere. And Paul says, all these things that I thought were going to give me favor and were going to do these things for me, well, I came to, found out, to come to find out they are worth absolutely nothing. And I counted them as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. As we come together and we gather together for Friend Day, Christ wants to be your friend. Many of us have invited our friends and neighbors and we're very thankful that we um, have that opportunity that we, that we have people that can, we consider friends that we spend time and we can laugh together and sometimes cry together. But we see in this passage, Christ is so much more than just any friend. We have the opportunity in verse 9 that, to see that we can be in Christ. Our total identity can be changed. In this area of metro Atlanta, there are many HOA neighborhoods. We live in a very small HOA neighborhood. Right, Lakeisha? 
Yeah, that's right. And I love it. We love our neighborhood. We know all of our neighbors. We've got phenomenal neighbors. Some are here this morning with us. But there's one little problem with our HOA neighborhood. We don't have a pool. Right, Lakeisha? I mean, that, that, we miss having a pool in our HOA neighborhood. The neighborhood next to us, McClure Farms, you know what they have? They have a pool. So last year, our HOA board reached out to the McClure Farms HOA board and said, hey, any chance that we could pay a little bit of money? And there's only 13 homes in our little HOA. Uh, any chance that we could just kind of have access to your pool um, so that we could, you know, enjoy that? And they came back and said, Nope. You are not in our HOA, so you've got to stay out of our pool. Spiritually speaking, because we are in Christ all through the New Testament, there are many things that we gain from being in Christ, but the most important is that we gain justification. Christ then puts us in him. His his perfection, his sinless life, all of a sudden becomes our identity. And everything that I thought was gain, everything that I thought would give me favor to God, all of a sudden it becomes loss. But I've made a phenomenal exchange as Christ has put his righteousness on me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close this morning?